Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 129. The date of recording this intro is Thursday, September 26th. It's pretty late at night right now. My guest for this episode was Max Rosansky. Max is a documentary photographer. I'd seen him around like 10 plus years ago, going to shows in New York City, seeing punk and hardcore bands. And he had done a zine after a tour with Modern Life is War, who if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm into them. I've had uh, their singer Jeff on the podcast a couple times. But from there, I don't recall exactly how, but I started following uh, Max's work. He's got some really cool photos from those tours and sort of subcultural stuff from across America. And then I think the one that really hooked me was he had spent some time with the members of the Westboro Baptist Church. And those those pictures are, are really, really fascinating. We get into this in the podcast, but it's impossible not to see them and not to feel something. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I think he does a really good job of explaining it, and he goes into depth about that. Uh, so his stuff is really cool and really unique. And I'm really glad that I got to meet him. We went back and forth for a while, but we finally got this one done. And yeah, like most people that I have, or really like everyone that I've invited on the podcast, uh, these are people that inspire me and intrigue me, and I'm now happy to, to call them my friend, and Max is no different. So real honor to have him on here. Please go to the show notes for this episode and find the links to his stuff, because what I would do for, for an episode like this is to go to his website and as we talk about specific photos and specific projects, click on them so you can see what we're talking about. You know, this isn't a video podcast, so um, I know sometimes when I have artists and things like that, you really want to see the visual. So go to his website and click through the stuff, and you could see it as we're talking about it. Also, if you want to support this podcast, you can do so on Patreon. That's a subscription-based service. I'm sure everyone listening knows what it is by now, but you can give a little bit, you can give a lot, and it will go to keeping these episodes coming. That's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. All right, folks, enjoy this episode with Max. recall exactly how we first linked up. It might have been after I did an episode with Jeff. You might have reached out to me or I might have even reached out to you after seeing your pictures. But I had seen you a whole bunch back in the day. So I'm 33 now. I guess I started um, coming to the city to go to shows when I was around like 16, 17. Uh, but like for me, like Modern Life is War was like my black flag for, you know, older heads that are a little bit older than me. And um, I remember seeing you at a bunch of shows. So then like I reconnected then when I saw you in, in the photo project that we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but I guess first, man, like are, are you from New York originally? 
No. Um, originally, I was born in Lithuania in Eastern Europe. Whoa. And uh, my family came here at the end of 89, so I just turned seven. And um, so at first we were in Bridgeport, Connecticut for like nine months. We came through like a, we came through like a program that helps religious refugees. So uh, from, from Eastern Europe, basically, like if you were a Soviet Jew at the time, they'd bring you over. Yeah. Um, and they, they pretty much like, you tell them like where you want to be. And they're like, yeah, we'll do our best. So like... Uh, my family had some distant relatives in New York, so they were like, "Okay, yeah, we want to we want to go to New York," and they were like, "Okay, cool, Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is not New York." Right. <laughs> um, so you know, we were there for like almost a year, and then my dad got a job in New Jersey, so my family moved to New Jersey, and I pretty much grew up there from like seven till like nineteen or so. Wow. That's wild because I was literally today just talking to someone at work who I found out today had uh, immigrated from the Ukraine in the 80s. And she was like, you might not know this, but the anti-Semitism was like really insane in the 80s in Eastern Europe and in the former Soviet countries. And like, I was not aware of that. So that's a really serendipitous kind of connection there that you you came for the same reason. (laughs) It's... You know, I mean, I think I was probably a little too young to feel the brunt of any of that, you know, because when you're like five or six, that's like probably before that kind of like comes into, you know, the vernacular of people using that against you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like my brother's five years older. My cousins were like seven, eight years older. They definitely kind of felt that. I think I was probably a little too young or too naive or just, you know, in preschool, you don't have kids kind of like saying that sort of thing. So, you know, I never, I personally never felt that, you know, from the perspective of my parents, like they definitely felt that. And, you know, like I said, from my uh, brother and my cousins. And I mean, I've kind of like spoken with my parents about them. I've kind of like asked them, you know, what it was like. And, you know, it's not like... You know, it's not like a day-to-day thing where, like, you're walking down the street and somebody's going to, like, try to, like, attack you or something like that. But it was more kind of like, you know, if you try to, let's say, work your way up in a company, mm-hmm. like, the top positions were not designated for you. Yes. Yeah, regardless so of what you did. That just wasn't for you. Things like that. And there was kind of, like, overt, um, you know, uh, prejudice or racism or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, religious bias you know, uh, I mean, I know like my cousins, you know, had to get into like fist fights and things like that. Whoa. So that was probably lined up for me, but I never really felt the burn of that. I had a pretty happy childhood there. I saw that somewhat recently you were doing a couple of initiatives for refugees now. I saw you were doing a computer project. I think before that there was a fundraiser you were doing. Is that the sort of connection to you doing that work or is it just that you were you know, uh, a humanist. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of both. I'm okay. Not, yeah, something. I mean, definitely. I, I think when I started doing kind of like fundraising and um, community work towards programs that help refugees, it was right around the time of the last presidential election. It wasn't right around the time; it was during that because that's the reason I started. And kind of like as I saw the rise of. Uh, you know, the current president that we have in office as he was gaining momentum. And I kind of saw the rhetoric that he used to incite, um, I mean, not 
you know, not just anti-immigration sentiment, but just hate and fear for anyone who's not like you. Mm. It kind of struck a chord with me just because, I mean, what I went through is nothing like what a lot of people that are going through that are coming here. I never had to flee any sort of, you know, dangerous situation or real persecution. And, you know, even, and my family, I would say, didn't either. Like, obviously, they left for a reason. They felt like, you know, they weren't treated properly, but it's a lot different than fleeing a, um, you know, a place that has an active war going on or whatnot. So, obviously, when, you know, when when this uh, presidential candidate was using this rhetoric, it kind of struck a chord with me, and I was trying to think of, like, I felt kind of powerless in a way. Mm. Like, what can I do as an individual to kind of combat this? And, you know, relating to me coming here, um, my family and I were very, we were very, um, I'm trying to think of like exactly how to express this, but basically like a lot of people helped us that didn't have to help us, uh. they, you know, and they helped us. We were uh, graceful recipients of generosity, you know, so people helped us because they wanted to, and it had nothing to do with their need to. You know, nobody forced them to help us. So Instagram likes back then. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but it's it's like, I think it's part of the, you know, it's part of the American spirit, I think, to welcome people here. And we were welcomed, you know, and I felt like kind of, it was my turn to kind of reciprocate that. Oh, that's so, beautiful. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> um. All right, so the tri-state area maybe is like a hotbed for like underground music, punk music, uh, like indie music. Uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a place where like there were a whole lot of bands playing. Uh, so I, I grew up on Long Island and then my adult life has been spent in the city. And obviously like every tour for any type of music or whatever comes through New York City. But I can remember... I, can't, I honestly can't remember like the first band I listened to that was whatever alternative genre to punk to hardcore to whatever. Um, but when I was in middle school, like I started really liking MXPX. I used to love like the, the fat record comps, the fat rec comps and like the epitaph comps and things like that. Cause you used to be able to like send away for them or like a button or a stick or whatever, like cash now and I don't get shit back. Um, and so I remember like the, fir- I went to some local shows, uh, but the first, I guess like, punk show I went to was uh, it was MXPX and the Hippos and there was a band called like Goaty Hook I, I can't even remember what they sound like um, but that was sort of my entry into that world and it for me like for many people and maybe for you too it's like oh wow like I belong to something now that I feel comfortable with and I fit in for I fit into a little bit more uh, like what was that that band for you or like at what point in your life did you get into into punk or hardcore or to an alternative type of music scene? Um, okay, so basically the town that I was living in in New Jersey or the town my parents still live in, um, you know, there was like a VFW there that yeah. people started renting out. Oh, yeah, no, I'm just agreeing. Like, oh, okay. VFW is American <laughs> Legions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, American Legion, classic to the uh, East Coast punk and hardcore scene. Um so, you know, people started renting it out and doing shows and, you know, there was just like hardcore shows there. This is like 1996. 
So I was in like middle school and my friends were just like, hey, you want to go see these bands play here? And I was like, yeah, sure. And, you know, like at the time I was into, uh, you know, whatever like the popular kind of like extreme music was on the radio, you know. And I think, you know, I think like going to see people that are slightly older than you playing music at a VFW hall. I mean, it sounds so silly, but it's just kind of like, it's so approachable. They're like, oh shit, like I could do that. Even if you don't like playing an instrument, it just kind of like gave you this idea of, oh, like they're, <laughs> you know, they're, they're creating this thing because they want to, and it's so possible to do that. Mm. And I think that's kind of like the main reason why I was drawn to it. And yeah, I think just the idea that you can create something for the sake of creating it and it doesn't need to be enjoyed on a mass scale that people can enjoy at a VFW Hall in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, so I think, you know, I think that was just kind of like a big initial draw to it. And, you know, like when you're in your younger formative years, it's like, I feel like a lot of people probably are looking for whatever the thing is that their friends are not into, you know, to separate themselves and to give them their own sense of identity. So even though like a lot of my friends were simultaneously getting into that same kind of music scene, it felt kind of like outside of pop culture. And, you know, when you're 13, that's kind of like an important thing to a lot of people. I could, you know, it's like, I think discovering it in my formative years kind of like was a big thing. Like I, I don't know if it would have had the same effect had I discovered it, you know, as like an adult with way more life experience or, or whatnot. But it was definitely important just showing me the possibility of just kind of like, if you want to do something, just go out there and do it. Yeah, no, that's really fucking cool, man. I was looking back through, I've got like a, like a show list I used to keep and like old photos and stuff. But at this point after moving and selling stuff, like I've got a bunch of hard drives all over the place, so I can't find the show list. But there's two things that I'm thinking. There's there's two t- shows or tours I'm thinking of. One was like the second time I believe that Modern Life is War played at Croutons. It was after something. I don't know. They maybe they they played a show at like the old Knitting Factory maybe on Leonard. Maybe that was it. If if I'm remembering correctly. But then I remember this one. I guess like East Coast tour, and I went. Because again, like this was the Iban to me, and it sounds cheesy saying that now as like an older person, but um, I've already said it when I've had Jeff on here. But I, I saw them play in Connecticut. They played with Crime and Stereo, and then they played in Jersey. I can't remember the band. There was like this like moshy type of band, but I think this was the tour they did with Spanish Bombs when Spanish Bombs had like the the demo in like the paper, the brown paper lunch bag. Um, but I remember seeing you at those shows and the reason I really remember, and hopefully this doesn't embarrass you, but first of all, you were like a, uh, a stage diving guy, but I remember in, at that Jersey show, it was Jeff's birthday and like you poured whiskey over his head and it got in his eyes in the middle of the song and everything. Do you remember this? I do remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I know you're a dad now. So, um, yeah, so I, I guess like leading up to a question, um, how did that connection get made and how did you end up on that tour and, and subsequent tours with them? <laughs> All right. I mean, first, I, I do remember that because I, I do specifically remember Brett, the guy who used to own that venue. And he's like kind of like a successful 
uh, businessman at this point, is it? But he was like, yo, man, you can't be doing that. I got kids in here. <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, he's right. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess to answer the other part of the question is, you know, after I got kind of like involved with just going to shows, um, I think the natural progression was I started booking shows in New Jersey and, um, you know, it's kind of like when you're 16 and you can be kind of like a part of something that, you know, feels really important to you at the time, uh, you know, it's kind of like, a, uh, you know, it's like you get a level of satisfaction that maybe like your peers don't get to experience because while they're participating kind of, you know, whatever it may be, team sports or whatnot, like that's all fine and dandy, but it's kind of like its own separate you know, basically, like, after I got involved with, um, you know, independent music or punk hardcore music and whatnot, pretty quickly I kind of dove into it as, you know, as hard as I could. And um, when I was right about 16, 15 or 16, I started booking shows. And basically there was this guy one town over who worked for the recreation department. And you weren't allowed to use their facilities for rentals unless you lived in the town. But I convinced him to let me do it as long as the shows were benefit shows. Mm. So um, I started booking hardcore shows there. And there would be benefit shows for like, uh, we did one for like a battered women's shelter. We did one with my friend. Um, it was kind of like a fundraiser for research for SIDS, which is like sudden infant death syndrome. Because mm-hmm. he had like a family member that was affected by that. Um, we did some other shows in... Um, you know, it was just kind of like taken back to what I was saying. Like when you go and you, you know, and you're like 13 or 14, you see people just kind of like making music because they can. I couldn't really play anything, but I was like, oh, but I could book a show and I could kind of like have a positive effect on my surrounding community from it as well if it is a benefit show. So it was a kind of like a formative thing because... It's like, on one hand, it's, you know, it's like this very simple thing. Like, oh, you just like call or email some bands and they show up and they plug in and they make like loud music and then you go home and you donate some money. Like that's, you know, like not uh, anything to brag about. But on the other hand, it was kind of like looking back on it, it is kind of cool because I don't know, I guess not a lot of kids that were 15 or 16 were going in any sort of like, uh, or going any more out of their way than they had to, you know, to do anything that they had to at all, not just with a uh, charity or whatnot. So I just started booking shows like that. And then kind of like when that end, that ended because that dude, uh, I think he had to resign on corruption charges. Oh, there you go. That sounds, yeah. that sounds yeah. very New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had to resign on corruption charges, uh, yeah, in full Jersey style. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like as I got older and then as I got like my driver's license and whatnot, um, my friend Jeff and I started booking shows. And, you we, you know, we got like deep into that. Like we, I don't remember how many years we did it, but we probably booked close to 100 shows. And... You know, that was just like at the time, like being part of like that music scene was important and it felt like I could contribute in a way that would benefit, you know, that scene, I guess. And so then at some point, did you book one of those bands or? Okay, yeah. So let's get back to that question. So basically, 
I have a letter from Jeff from like 2000, I don't know, four, three, I don't remember exactly when they started as a band. And it was, they were about to do their first tour. All they had was, it was like maybe like a two or three song tape of their seven inch, but it wasn't out yet. And basically it came in the mail and it was like, I think it said something like, um, you know, they were like a newer band. They were from Iowa and they were friends. There was another band called Holding On from Minnesota. Ah, I was going to say In Control, but yeah. Okay, Holding yeah. On, that's right. So Holding On is from Minnesota. Modern Life is War is from Iowa. So that's like, I don't know, probably six hours apart. But mm-hmm. for them, that's like neighbors, you know. <laughs> so um, I think maybe like one of the guys from Holding On was like, yo, check this band out. They're from Iowa. And it was like, oh, shit, what? <laughs> like, it just kind of... I don't know how many real um, punk or hardcore bands I really could have thought of from Iowa at that point. So it was kind of like, um, it kind of worked in their favor, I think, getting some ears because of being from kind of like a small town in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere. And I remember my friends and I really liked the tape and we booked a show for them and we just kind of became friends from that point on. And pretty much, I think we booked pretty much every one of their New Jersey shows for the next few years and just kind of became friends with the guys through that. And, um, yeah, I just convinced them to let me go on a tour with them. I think, honestly, like I'm kind of recalling it, I think one day at a show, I don't remember if I was talking to Jeff on the phone or if it was at a show, I think he was kind of drunk and I was like, yo, man, next tour, let me come with you guys when you're in California. And he was like, yeah, totally. And I think you forgot to agree. (laughs) I think you forgot to agree to, and I just bought plane tickets. And I I just called them. I'm like, yo, man, pick me up at the airport and like whatever. So you started in California? It wasn't for that tour. It was like something else. It was like a different tour that they were doing. And I'm pretty positive he totally forgot that he agreed (laughs) to it. So, um, yeah. And then I was kind of like, I was finishing up college and I didn't know what to do. So I was like, yo, let me just like tour with you guys. And they were. Just kind of like, yeah, okay. At some point, um, I mean, you'll you'll know which tour probably, but I, I used to love collecting zines. And you put out, so you had the Forever Outsider stuff, which I guess I'll ask you about. But I, I, I was looking for this before too, because again, like with moving and everything, like I don't know where it is. I oh, think it's in one of these like I'm lock so boxes. I'm so glad you didn't find it. Really? <laughs> oh, come on. All right, so... It, to me, it's kind of similar to your um, portrait series in like, it's like a look behind the curtain. And I love that kind of stuff. I, I loved it then and I still love it now. And then I also love sort of like historical stuff. So like uh, with bands and, and punk music and stuff like that, like the history of it. So I'm sure like maybe it was an embarrassing time with some of the things that were written. But I, I loved that scene at the time. And I think maybe... And you can clarify, but I think you had intentions of doing follow-ups, right? Or you might have done follow-ups and I never got them. Um, I mean, I, I think I've done so many of them, but I'm probably... I, I have a slight theory that you should probably be embarrassed about everything that you've done up until <laughs> like the last couple of days of your life. So, um, Dude, I liked it no, a lot. No, I mean, I'd have to... You know, it's like I'd have to revisit it to kind of like take a take a look at it now with my with my brain now to be to have a, a real evaluation of kind of like, what the fuck was I thinking? Or, oh, I know that was all right. But right now my memory of it is what the fuck was I thinking? But I'd have to take a kind of like look at it. I mean, so people it. understand 
it was essentially like a tour zine and like there were little snippets of like conversations, like some silly stuff, some serious stuff. And then it was the Midnight in America album because there were some references, if I'm if I'm recalling correctly, to stuff. So like um, these Mad Dogs of Glory is, a, is, a, is an homage to Beasts Bounding Through Time, I think is the name of the Charles Bukowski poem. So like there was something like that in there. But at that time and that tour, is that when you started the, like, I guess, project or whatever? I'm, I'm not sure how you, like, label work, but uh, is that when you started the Forever Outsider stuff? Um, it was probably around, that was probably even before that because I pretty much just started, you know, I've always, not, well, not always, but, uh, you know, I do documentary photography. So I guess when, you know, Getting in a van with like three or four or five or six or eight or whatever it is of your friends and driving across the country for a month and a half in a big circle, playing music to who knows how many people that don't care. You know, it's kind of like a bonding experience. It's mm-hmm. kind of a, um, you know, at the same time, it's like the greatest thing in the world, but it's also just like the weirdest thing in the world because it doesn't need to happen for it. Nobody's asking for it. You know what I mean? Like nobody's like knocking on somebody's door and be like, hey man, you should start a punk band and get in a van and travel for 45 days straight and make music to nobody. But it's kind of like this amazing thing of when you do get to do it. Um, I don't know. It's in a way it's kind of like character building, but also it's just a not nomadic way of traveling, but it's definitely different from what your average person experiences. So it's kind of funny because, like, when I tell people, like, yeah, I've been to forty-eight, the forty-eight continental states, but also a lot of that I haven't seen, like, mm-hmm. all the things you actually have to see in those states. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. um, it's just like a different way of traveling, different way of seeing things. And as a, I guess, as a photographer, I had kind of like a, a visual idea of capturing. I don't know if it's like behind the scenes. There's not really, you know, like a velvet curtain to pull back, really, when it comes to like stuff like this, but. I was just trying to document the mundane or the funny things or the interesting things that happen that maybe to somebody outside of that world, um, give them like a slightly better idea of what it's like to go on a tour. Like, I guess I was never really that interested in documenting live photography because, I mean, that's been done a million times over and there's people that do that really well. But I feel like it's, just like I don't know how many pictures of people jumping like with a guitar can you do after a while it's kind of like the same picture yeah um, and that's no diss to people that do live like band photography because some of it is really amazing it just was never my bag well what I love about it Max is I, you know the way I can relate to this is I did one five week tour when I I turned 21 on that tour in Texas and I went to buy beer and they were like no nah, we're not selling you beer I'm like no I'm really 21 today but uh, maybe similar to your experiences or to what you're talking about, uh, likely a lot of people listening can't relate because they haven't done, you know, uh, like real DIY tours or whatever. But one of like the main aspects of it is exactly what you were talking about. Like it's not travel where you're going and doing all the sightseeing. Like you're in a van, like you're looking out a window and then you're in a place. And often those places are you're sleeping on someone's couch. You're sleeping on someone's floor. There's house shows. There's you're DIY getting, you're venues. You're getting bed bugs. 
Yeah. <laughs> getting bed bugs sleeping on a dude's couch in Missouri. Exactly. Like you're eating spaghetti like 10 nights in a row because that's what like the, the host house is making for you. But like as such, you get to see what like how like a lot of common people are living around the country. And like you get to see a lot of middle America, which you don't you know, often get exposure to, especially being someone like living in New York City or Jersey or Long Island. Um, and so like when I look, I in preparation for this, I went back on your website, which I would encourage people to do because you have the forever outside stuff on there. And it just like, it looks fucking wild. Like you see people hanging from hooks from their back and like broken noses and all sorts of wild stuff that is quite normal, I guess, to the very unnormal life of a person that's, on a tour across America. And so in that regard, I think it's really cool and really valuable uh, for someone who has no exposure to that to like go and see pictures of that. Because like you said, a lot of people are taking pictures of bands and venues, but there's not a ton of stuff uh, out there that's published other than like on people's Instagrams and stuff of like tour life, if that makes sense. So I, that's just my way of saying I appreciate it, man. <laughs> I think it's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So, um, with that said, there's a couple of projects that you did that I think are just like really, really, really fascinating. Um, when I was younger, maybe again, like 21, there was this British documentary film guy interviewer named Louis Thoreau. I don't know if he still does stuff. I'm a little bit out of touch nowadays, but he went and he spent some time with the Westboro Baptist church. I'll give a quick synopsis of them if people don't know who they are. And you could probably do a way better job of this. Um, But essentially, as I perceive them, they are a group who is religious or even hyper-religious or maybe fake religious. I don't know. I would love your opinion on this Um, because I I just know from stuff I've seen. And they're also like essentially, I guess you could classify them as like a hate group because – uh, I don't really even feel like using some of the language, so like I won't. But like you know, they hold up the signs like against homosexuality, and you know, like they they protest like soldiers' funerals and things like that. Um, I th- oh, what was it? Fred F- was Phelps the yeah Fred Phelps was the the guy I guess who founded it. Um, and they go around, they do this, and then when people react to them, they sue them. <laughs> Can you have a project where you went and you? photographed them like can you talk about like the genesis of this how it started and then i have like i have a bunch of follow-ups because i think this is incredible the way that i started kind of photographing the westboro baptist church was initially i was working on my college thesis and i was documenting a lot of mostly children that were kind of being put into activities for the sake of fun or tradition and Mm. i was really kind of interested by that um, you know, growing up, it's like if you have parents maybe that are really into a specific sport, they'll put you into that, whether you want to be in that or not. And that kind of like idea goes beyond just sports and recreation into just all sorts of different cultural or religious um, activities or ideas. So kind of like for this thesis, uh, you know, my teacher at the time, whose name is Abby Robinson, she's actually an amazing photographer, and she... She was like, you need an example of how religion plays into this as well. So a lot of the photos have kind of like a tinge of, I would say, dark humor to them. And (laughs) I guess 
when you look at the Westboro Baptist Church, it's like if you're coming at it from a certain mind frame, their message is beyond horrific. But it's so, when you first encounter it, it's so out there that you almost can't believe it's real. So there is kind of like this slight, (laughs) it's kind of weird to say, but there is kind of like a slight dark humor element to it because it seems so unfathomable that humans would be capable of what they actually do. Mm -hmm. But they are 100% serious. And then it goes from in any sort of way funny to just absurd, horrific, all sorts of other emotions. So they were coming to Queens to picket a Billy Graham, um, who's, he was like an, excuse me, evangelical preacher. Yeah. So they were coming to picket him. Um, really? Yeah. Cause they'll picket anybody who's essentially not them. It's so wacky. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm, you know, I can't like explain a hundred percent what they're about, but I'll do my best. Their whole vision is that everybody is on their path to becoming a hellbound sinner, and they're simply trying to warn them about what they're doing wrong with their lives. Mm. So that includes pretty much every single human being on this planet, but they've realized they're very media savvy. So they've realized the more offensive they make their signage, the more high-profile people they go after, the more eyeballs they get on them that's kind of like who their target is. Mm. And that's not to say that they only go after high profile or hyperly offensive, uh, you know, subject matter, but, well, I would say their subject matter is hyperly offensive at all times, but it's not directed towards high profile people always. So they were going to Queens to picket um, one of his events. And at first I was actually going to go to the Billy Graham event to photograph that because I thought that would be kind of like an interesting aspect of how children are brought to that and, you know, what their level of participation is with that. And then once I found out that Westboro Baptist Church was going to be there, I kind of turned my focus on them. And um, I shot a photograph of um, Grace, who was part of the family. She was probably around 12 at the time. And she is standing on an American flag and she's holding a sign. I believe the sign says uh, God hates, and then there's a derogatory term for homosexuals. And she's also wearing a Vote for Pedro shirt from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. And she's also simultaneously texting. And it was very surreal to see. It's an amazing <laughs> juxtaposition of things. Like it was, there's a lot going on. And kind of, if you look at it visually, like I don't want to kind of like, go into it, but there's some kind of like visual elements in the photo that you could pick up on that make it even weirder. Um, but that's kind of like for the viewer to try to find if they, you know, if they kind of like see it. But it's, it was such an absurd moment seeing a child that on one hand, you know, <laughs> is texting whatever, a family member most likely, but you know, they're sending a text message and their child, they're wearing a Napoleon Dynamite t-shirt and they're clearly, you know, unmistakable for an adult. They're under the age of 18. They're here with their family and they're displaying this very extreme message of, um, they wouldn't call it hate, but we would, (laughs) 
the average person would. You know, they would call it a warning. Right. You know, they redemption or something. Well, they try to justify it as they love the person that they're pointing the sign at, and they just want them to understand what they're doing is going to put them in hell. So they think of it as, <laughs> you know, it. it um, as a show of love towards that person. Obviously, I would have to disagree. But, um, yeah, so the whole thing was just very absurd. And I'm kind of, kind of, I'm going to kind of jump forward a little bit. Like, I've had to actually get into arguments with people of whether that photo was real or not because Whoa. they were convinced that it was set up. I think the absurdity of it is so high that they were convinced there, were, there was no way for that it's real. And that was kind of like a lot of my initial interest in the group was it was unfathomable how they could be real. And I was kind of interested in getting to know them beyond the facade of these signs and beyond the absurdity. So I kind of like just started speaking with them at that event and they were super friendly and which is also weird, you know, and they were also very, they came off very kind of like um, intellectual and just like culturally savvy, you know. I had a I had a preconceived notion that they were just gonna gonna be, for lack of better words, very stupid and mm. have no real knowledge of like the outside world from what they believe in. But they were kind of like deeply ingrained in American c- culture and were highly educated, which made it really even more fascinating. So when I started kind of speaking with them. And they were super friendly, and I just asked them, like, oh, where are you going to go next? And they were going to go to um, St. Patrick's Cathedral to do another picket because, um, you know, why not? Because <laughs> that's <laughs> what why you not? do, right? I mean, I, yeah, I can't, I can't explain it. You know, you have to ask them, but why not? So I kind of, like, I took the 7 train over with them, and I just got a chance wow. to, like, speak with... Um, and they're holding their signs on the train and everything? No. Okay. No, they're they're smart, you know, because okay. what they do is when they have a picket, they have police protection. They, you know, they go through, like, the formal um, requirements to uh, get a license to do their pickets. They get police protection. Um, if anybody messes with them, that's kind of, like, when they sue the town for not protecting them. But realistically, that doesn't happen that much for how much they pick it. Okay. Um, and they, they, to their credit, it's hard to give them credit, but you do have to give them credit for some things. They do their best to be pacifists in the physical sense. Like, obviously, they're being super hyper-confrontational with their language, and, like, that's not excusable, but as messed up as it is, they do have a right to say what they're saying, and they do their best to not physically involve themselves in, you know, any sort of altercation. So, um, you know, whether you want to give them credit for that or not, it's 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 something, right? Um, so That's yeah, when, fascinating. So, yeah, it was fascinating, and it was like you're asking, do they take their signs in the train? And you know, they don't because they're savvy enough to understand that without police protection. You know, things can pop off for lack of better terms. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they, they put away their signs and just kind of like little portfolio cases and they take off like any sort of like offensive T-shirts that they might have on, um, you know, and they just kind of look like your run-of-the-mill standard, like tourist family. And I think one of the main reasons I was really kind of like drawn to getting to know more about them was 
you know, on the train ride over, I saw kind of like a loving family. And it's really weird to say because their whole dynamic and their public perception is of shock value and of outward hatred. But I saw kind of like a family dynamic that seemed very loving towards each other. And I was really interested in that kind of duality and seeing if I could kind of show more about them than what they put out there. Um, so yeah, so I kind of like, I don't want to say became friendly with them, but you know, I spent some time just speaking with them. And then I don't remember if it was like a few months later or like a year later, um, I emailed, I just like sent like an email to their general, you know, like contact info from their website. And um, the mom, surely she responded to me. She remembered like all these specific details about me, which was very impressive. And, she, you know, she like, like same thing, like we were just kind of like shooting the shit. And like I mentioned that I was from Lithuania and like she remembered that. And it's kind of oh. like, you know, it's like just taken back by um, just the fact that she remembered. Cause like I don't remember like half the things that I talk with people about. And, you know, she was like, sure. You want to come photograph us? Come whenever you want. Just tell us when you're going to come. You know, you can hang out with us for indefinitely whenever. Whoa. Um, so I was like, okay. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, so pretty much I just like booked a hotel, booked a flight to, they live in Topeka, Kansas. And um, I would just, I forget how long I was there. It was like roughly a week. Maybe it was like five days or something. And I just try to photograph them being a family like as much as I could because I guess kind of like you know the same thing if you talk about like the Forever Outsiders project this is obviously way different but that idea of like like you know we've seen like a million fo photos of bands on stage right but kind of like what happens when you're not on stage and same this is like that but on like a way different level because at that point they were kind of like part of they were starting to kind of get out there in, in the media, oh, yeah. make their rounds, and I felt like I felt like in a way I'd taken, not to sound conceited, but I'd taken like the best photo of them picketing that was ever going to be taken. <laughs> like I hope that doesn't come off conceited no, in any sort of way, but I felt really confident in that, and at the very least, I was not going to take a better one. Which one yeah. is that? And that's the one that I was saying of um, Grace standing on the flag, okay, okay. texting with her vote for Pedro shirt with holding the super offensive sign. And I just felt like I kind of, as far as the protest photos, that was my peak. I was being realistic. I was not going to get a better one. So I was trying to think of a, what would be more interesting than the actual picket photo. And I wanted to try to humanize them because it's easy to demonize them. You know, it's easy to be like, these are, um, you know, like, these are people that only care about themselves or they have like a warped sense of what religion is or they, you know, have no right using this language towards anybody in a public setting. And a lot of these things have valid, have value and they have merit, but also they're humans. <laughs> and I was trying yeah. to, you know, like they're not some sort of like demonic creature, like they're humans. And I was trying to figure out what, like the middle ground of them living within, you know, within like our society, like they're not, they don't live in like a compound. They don't live like outside of the structures that we set for, 
you know, communities. They live like they're part of the community. They go to public schools. They work in, um, you know, uh, civil service jobs. They just happen to have this belief system. So kind of like what, I don't know if I was trying to figure out the root of that as much as kind of like the human aspect of them. I love that, Max, because first of all, your writing is actually really good. Like you, you write these descriptions about the different projects that you have, and in that description of the folks in the Westboro Baptist Church, you said like one of the daughters was asking you like, "Hey, do you listen to Akon and Ti?" And that in itself almost seems like a contradiction to the message that they're that they're producing for people. So that was like the the writing is really beautiful. If 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 you haven't heard that before, thank you. But. I like too that like obviously now in the little bit that I know about you and then obviously or not obviously but likely if you're someone who's listening to punk music and things like that you're going to be more tolerant and like not in favor of hate and discrimination and things like that and not to say that these folks are maybe deserving of their humanity being shown but what I like about the photography is that it doesn't when I look at it and when I hear you now and when I read the description like you haven't quite made a decision about them. And that's what I really like about the work is that like, that's up to you as, as the viewer, as the person consuming it. Like if you want to make a final decision, you can make a final decision. But here's this girl who is a young girl who probably doesn't even understand half of the words that are on the sign, who just wants to watch Napoleon Dynamite and text. And she's holding like one of the most horrific signs you could ever possibly see. And that is a really unique part of like Americana, I think. Um, and yeah, I just like that it's sort of apolitical, but still makes you feel something, but leaves you open to the fact that like this artist isn't pushing their viewpoint on you, but they're just showing you like, here's this thing, like interpret it. <laughs> and yeah, kind of like you said, looking at some of them, it's just like, whoa, like what do I feel? Like, do I want to be outraged? Do I want to be disgusted? Do I want to feel bad for this kid? Do I want to think they're brainwashed? Do I want to think like, you know, escape this situation, kid? It just, it's, it's something that makes you think. Um, and for that reason, I think has, has a lot of value for, for people that would check it out. So I would encourage people to do that too. Well, thank you. I actually have a couple comments on yeah, yeah. all of that. Of so, course. Okay. So, well, first, thank you. But um, I do think kind of like, as a photographer or journalist or anytime you're kind of like creating media about others and you want to do it in an objective way, it's it's kind of like your job to present it. It's kind of your job to present it from multiple angles and I feel like let the reader decide. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, if you're writing an opinion piece, you know, that's different. But I guess with the photography, like, I don't need to, I don't need to beat you over the head with what I think about them. I want to present it kind of like as neutrally as possible and let you come to your own conclusion because I want them to speak for themselves and I want my photos about them to speak for themselves simultaneously. So you don't need me to tell you what to think. Like as a viewer, you know, you have your own mind to kind of like take that information and do what you want with it. And I guess kind of like from a photography standpoint, I could speak like specifically 
you know, there's like certain tricks that you could do when you're photographing a person if you want to make them look, um, you know, not the best, let's just say. So like, you know, there's like standard things like you could light people in a certain way that kind of resembles kind of more like horror movie lighting or there's certain angles that you could shoot from that are not flattering. And I have like no interest in using that as a trick because it's kind of like cheap to me. So I try to shoot whoever I'm photographing you know, you have to kind of like, in this weird way, you have to kind of like love the person that you're photographing. You have to have like, I don't know if like love is the right word, but you have to have like some sort of respect for them because if mm. you if you don't respect them, like the work is not going to be fair. And I've not, never heard it put like that. That's really interesting. You know, it's like I'm not trying to make hit pieces. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I'm not trying to like. I mean, they're digging their own graves as far as like the message, you know, the message that they're putting out there. Right. It's like the, there's nothing that I could add to the actual words on their signs. There's no opinion that I could state that needs to be said. You know, like the message speaks for them for itself. And like when you see that, you're going to have a reaction to it. Like you don't need me reiterating that or questioning what your reaction is. So I just try to present it like as fairly as possible and just give you kind of different angles possibly maybe that you didn't think about and make you think about it in a more constructive way. So hopefully that works. If not, that's fine I think too. so, yeah. Um, so then the other thing is, um, in this photo that I'm speaking of, uh, that girl, well now she's, I guess now you could say woman, um, she has left the church. So it's really crazy to me. And I mean, I love that she's left, you know? And she was on like Joe Rogan's podcast and stuff. I think. So that's yeah. her sister. Her okay. Sister, okay. That's that's her sister Megan. Who actually I got a text from today. Whoa. She's doing like a book release. She has a book coming out. Um, she's doing like a book release in the city in in a couple weeks in October, and um, like it's it's kind of crazy because you know like my relationship with her used to be like essentially I would be photographing her for being a part of this group. And ever since she left, it's like, I mean, I had nothing to do with her leaving the group in any sort of way, but it's just interesting that there's any sort of relationship beyond photographing her. Now it's just like, she's made a total 180 degree turn of who she is as a person. Mm. I feel like I'm more or less the same. Like obviously you change as you get older, but like the whole dynamic of our relationship is just so wildly different where it's like, I used to photograph you because of your involvement with this church slash family and your insanely divisive political stances and signage. And now you're just like, hey, like I'm going to be in the city in a couple of weeks doing, a, you know, like a, an event about my book. So that's just kind of like an interesting aspect of it. But and I do believe actually Louis Thoreau is like um, he's going to be there. I think he's her um, uh, like monitor panel or whatnot. Oh man, I might try to go to that. That's awesome. Yeah. But, and then that's really been kind of like one of the amazing things of like seeing the people that have left because that's all they've known their whole life. And I mean, I feel like regardless of, I can't like really comment on exactly what their upbringing is like because obviously I'm there as an outsider. And I don't know how much of it is put on as a show for me and how much of it is reality and what I'm actually seeing. You know, it's hard to kind of like discern fact from fiction. Yeah. But there are a lot of kind of like loving aspects to it. 
to them as a family. So when you have parents that love you and a family that's supportive of you and every single person that you associate with has the same beliefs as you from birth, the idea of leaving that is probably very tremendously painful and hard. And terrifying and, probably, yeah. right? Like you're leaving everything you know. Yeah. So I like I highly commend Megan and Grace. And there's been multiple other family members that have left and they've just essentially started their lives over. And I don't think I've had anything to do with that, but it's been amazing to have any sort of involvement in documenting that happening. Yeah. Are you conscious of the fact that like we talked about Louis Theroux, who obviously like uh, and I'm not even talking about like popularity necessarily, but like as a major media figure, I guess, uh, or was at some point. And, um, and I think about the type of access he got, like I, the type of access you got is comparable. You just didn't have like a media engine behind you. Like I doubt as friendly as they might've been to you, I doubt that many people had that type of access. Are you conscious of the fact that like this was, I don't know if privilege is the right word, but like. Uh, quite an experience that you had that like not a lot of other people would ever get a chance to do. I think, yeah, I mean, you're right in the sense that it was kind of like you are welcome to do whatever you want. As far, I mean, you know, obviously I have to be respectful, <laughs> which, you know, um, and all the normal things like that. But like it was pretty much like all day open access. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is actually how media savvy the Westboro Baptist Church is. Mm. And, I mean, they are fully aware of how they're perceived and they give zero fucks. And mm. they are fully behind that all press is good press. And okay. they will give, I don't know what it's like now, realistically, but they give essentially full access, I think, to almost anyone that asks. And they do not care what you say about them at all. So... Even though what I write about them is respectful, the captions, a lot of the actual captions for the photos were actually done by their family members. Ah. And, um, but like the actual writing about them, I did. And I felt like I did it in a respectful way where it wasn't, you know, talking down about them in any sort of way. But even if I did talk down about them and I said, you know, that they're horrific and vile individuals and whatnot, I really don't think they would care and they would just invite me again. Whoa. So they're very media savvy in that sense because at the end of the day, I mean, you, you almost have to think of them as a living, breathing meme. You know, it's like the more eyes that are on it, like whatever you got to do to get the eyeballs on it, that's what you got to do. And they understand, they, under, they understand how <laughs> the power of absurdity and... You know, that's why if you look at the history of their signs, they've always been offensive, but they've gotten, there was kind of like a breaking point where they realized that the crazier the sign, the more people are going to react to it. So the offensiveness has always been there, but the language, the intentions, the visuals on the signs, once those went kind of like from like mm -hmm. a six to a 10, then more people started reacting. So, But from your experience... The belief behind those things is real. I do believe, yeah, yeah. I mean... That, they, that they're fully bought into their message, I guess. Yes. I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously people leave, so you don't just leave without questioning it for, for a while, right? right? You don't just like have some sort of like 
you know, millisecond epiphany and then you leave the house and never come back. Like you have to question your beliefs for, you know, a certain amount of time before you decide that you don't want anything to do with that. And I'd imagine that there's people that question their beliefs, but they don't have what it takes or the will to actually get up and leave. But I'm sure there is kind of like a community and family pressure of them to stay within the bounds of what they are told. But they are free to leave. Um, Once you leave, you're not coming back, but... The door is open for you to leave, essentially. It's not like, you can't think of it, you know, you hear, I don't know, and there have been... Like the mafia called. or something. Right? Yeah, it's not the mafia, it's not a gang, you know. You don't have to get beaten out, it's not a cult, you know. You don't have to be sacrificed or whatever, you don't have to drink the Kool-Aid. Like, you are, you know, a, a free-thinking individual, you're not really allowed to question too much. There is like a dialogue and a discourse, it always kind of comes back to their interpretation of biblical scripture, and they have a way of justifying any single angle you could throw at them. And so there's no way you're going to, you know, quote unquote, win an argument. It's interesting kind of like to bring up topics to them and see how they'll react. Mm. And a lot of times some of them are kind of like more savvy in terms of answering your questions about religion or their beliefs on a level that you would just have a conversation like me and you are having right now. And some of them just kind of like will give you a couple word answer and then just kind of start quoting scripture at you. And to me, that's not really like satisfactory because I kind of need more than that for an answer, you know. I understand as far what you're as saying. Yeah. Dialogue. So some of them are really good at being able to express themselves, and maybe those are the people that more like work within the public sphere. Because some of them are lawyers, some of them work in like, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of them are lawyers, um, and uh, I believe like some of them are nurses. Some of them work at a. Uh, I think one of them works at like a prison as like a prison guard. Whoa. They work in all sorts of kind of like public jobs, which is very interesting. They have constant interaction with members of society. Their kids go to public school. So they're not these kind of like weird, well, yeah, maybe weird. They are kind of weird, but um, they're not uh, these hermits that are outside the structures of, you know, what you would consider normal American living. Yeah. They're very much ingrained within that and kind of like how you were saying about the Akon and TI thing, that really, that really did blow my mind, you know, because... "Quote unquote." I think. I think the quote is, "It's a shame." What? Is the, what is the quote? I, I'm. I'm going to butcher it, but it's a shame their music is so good, but yeah. they don't use their powers to serve the Lord. It was something like that, and it, you know, and like all their kids watch like whatever it is, like Spider Man and SpongeBob and all this stuff, you know. And it really kind of was blowing my mind of how, like. I mean, compared to my family who are immigrants, like they are way more what you would consider typical Americans as far as their cultural references. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like my parents won't watch The Simpsons because they're yellow. You know, they think it's weird that they're not, like, <laughs> you know, they think it's weird that they're not painted like a normal human skin color of any kind. You know, they're like, no, this is too weird. Um, but they're like fully ingrained in any sort of like American, I don't know, um, not like subcultures, but just, opposite of that, I guess, popular culture. Yeah. I've got Megan's quote here. So it's it's such a shame that their music is so good, but they're going to hell because they don't use the talent they don't use their talents to serve God. Yeah, so TI and Akon, if you're listening, <laughs> you check yourself. Watch out. I mean not to stick on the extreme, but like I feel like I have to ask about this. Um 
and forgive me for not knowing exactly where it is. Maybe it was the, your Pursuit of Happiness project, but uh, didn't you also have photographs of like the clan or something wild like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. see it here. Okay. So that was, yeah, that was pretty wild. Um, that was for my college thesis again. I was trying to kind of show extreme examples of, like I said, what children are more or less forced into for the idea was what are kids forced to do that is part of their either cultural identity or um, part of their recreation. So, you know, I needed some, I have a lot of kind of what you'd consider mundane examples of that and I needed some more extreme examples. So before I did the Westboro Baptist Church, before I photographed them, um, I saw that there was going to be like a Ku Klux Klan Christmas party featuring Ku Klux Claws. <laughs> I see, so that's what I have pulled up right now. Yeah. Like, what? So I, I needed, <laughs> uh, this was in Indiana. That's insane. And yeah, I, need, I needed a really, really extreme version of some viewpoint that involved, um, you know, quote unquote, family-friendly activity that children were going to be at, that it would be okay for me to photograph. And, I mean, this seemed like kind of the most extreme thing that I was going to be able to attend. So I just emailed them and asked if a few of us could go. And they said, yeah. Um, they said, yeah, and they said a lot of other kind of derogatory terms about Oh. A religion that I, I happen to be born into, but it's okay. I was uh, gonna ask, like, were you fearful? Um, it was definitely a little bit sketchy because you're on private property, but you're surrounded by other people's. Like, it was in like a, it was just in like a suburban neighborhood in Indiana. So, in that sense, I was kind of like, okay, it's not like you're on some sort of compound deep in the woods. You're literally next to, um you know, just like someone else's house. And I distinctly remember their neighbor had, uh, what was it? Their neighbor had it, um, uh, like a anti-defamation league flag, like oh. hung up. So I was like, like on one side you have like the clan with their like flag. Neo-Nazis, right? Like- yeah. And then like, um, their neighbors are just like, nah, fuck that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of like a trip showing up to that and seeing that. But I was like, that kind of gave me like a little sigh of relief because I was like, okay, cool. We're kind of just like in the middle of like a suburban neighborhood. Some humanity here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it was definitely kind of weird because they had this dude show up about like halfway through who was like a quote unquote lawyer for them. And he was definitely like a Russian guy. Oh. And he was asking me about like, where I was from and when I came to America and that part I just kind of made up because I knew if I said like I came here like in 89 that he would have an idea that I was probably a Jew because that's like a lot of the Soviet, like a lot of the Soviets uh, uh, immigrants in America from that time period came on like religious refugee visas or whatever. So I was like, oh, yeah, I think I said like, my parents came here in like whatever, like the 70s or something. And he was just kind of like, okay. So that was kind of sketchy in a sense because these dudes all have guns. They're all packing heat and they're all telling you oh. how uh, like all these guns. I don't know like how true this is, but what they're telling you is these guns were made in, manufactured in 
um, you know, like whatever year it was, before a certain time. The, these guns are manufactured in 1822. Even though they shoot the same bullets as guns now, they're actually considered artifacts. They're not considered weapons. So you could shoot somebody with it and it's not a crime. It sounds like bullshit, but it's still kind of scary when they're telling you this, like while you're on their property. <laughs> Terrifying. <right? laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, Ku Klux Clause was there, which was basically just... It is ridiculous. Just a... Klansman with a Santa Claus beard. And, and there's children. There's children, yeah. Whoa. There's children. And it was definitely fucked up. And like, honestly, looking back on it now, like I really can't believe I went and I would not have gone again at this point in my life. But at the time I was kind of like naive in the sense of like, well, they're not going to kill me, right? Which they didn't. That's cool. But I don't know. It could have happened, I guess. I mean, that's what other type of access did folks in your program in college have? Like, that seems incredible for somebody who's completing a college thesis. I mean, I think as far as it really had nothing to do with the college. I mean, obviously, like, I learned a lot from classes and teachers that I had there, but as far as like any sort of access that I've had to any photo project that I've ever done, it's really been because I've wanted to do it. And you, I think, I mean, you probably have experience with this is you'd be surprised of what you have access to if you just ask, you know, and that's just kind of like, (laughs) you know, if you're, if you're creating like any sort of media, if you're working on any sort of art, if you're a journalist or if you're doing any sort of thing that involves other people's participation is like, it's not going to hurt to try and ask. And, you know, these like sometimes it's surprisingly easy. Like the worst thing that's going to happen is somebody's just going to ignore you, you know. Yeah. And you could try again later if you want. But that I guess that's something that I've always just felt like all these projects that I've been working on, like the artist portrait, excuse me, the artist portrait project that I'm doing now, the Westboro Baptist Church photos. Like when I went and I did the photos of the clan, like all this stuff is just kind of like it was an idea that I had. I wanted to do it. And I just decided to do it and it worked out because I kind of had the, the drive to put the idea into action Mm. and that's kind of like all it takes. Yeah. So I, and I know we're over an hour. I know we've been going for a while and I know you want to probably likely get back to your family, but I have to ask, and first I guess not ask, but I'll give sort of my interpretation on the portrait project and then I'll ask you sort of, um, what your idea behind it is. So essentially, as I see it is, um, you are photographing artists of many different mediums in their space of creativity. So it's their studio. Sometimes it's that their studio is their apartment uh, or the place that they make their art. And what I love about that is, well, first of all, I'll be honest and say, I've poached a person or two and I've tried to, poach more because like in a sense for me you're like curating a list of like really amazing uh, creative and interesting people and so I love to just like go through it and and click on it and be like man this person looks awesome I'd love to talk to them some more Um, so I appreciate it for that sense Uh, Razan who you photographed is on here but so then yeah I'll use her as as an example Um, what I love about it is there's like a certain nakedness to it because for Razan, like 
she did this project where she was painting um, faces of ISIS members. And I think it was like 100 people who were actual real people um, who were either convicted or killed. And sort of similar to you, not to like uh, make us feel sympathy for them, but just so like this face could be anybody. And like you as a consumer, like have a thought about that. Um, and again, what I love about that is the nakedness in the sense that like all these people are producing art and it's not them. They're not the focal point of it. So you're sort of stripping all that away and like, here's the thing behind that art. And maybe that wasn't your intention. Um, but that's what I love about it. Like who is, you know, you have, uh, I don't want to mess up her name, but like recently Tara Santabanez maybe is her name is like tattoo artist and like has incredible tattoos, but her herself is like a really interesting character and into like what almost looks like, like S and M and like all sorts of other like creative fields. And so to me, it's really cool again to peel back the curtain and see like the person behind the incredible artwork or medium that they're a part of. Uh, so that's my rant, <laughs> but what is uh, your thought behind the project, Max? I mean, I, that's, I feel like a pretty good interpretation of it. Um, the general, I mean, yeah, if you look at it like in a very simplistic terms, I'm photographing artists in their studios. So if you just write it, if you want it like the, I don't know, what is that, like eight words, you know, whatever that bare is. Bare bones, that, right? Yeah, the bare bones description, it's photographs of artists in their studios. Okay. So six <laughs> words. Okay, cool. Um, you know, and it's, it's very simple in that sense. And I don't want people to overthink it, but it does kind of... I mean, obviously, it puts a face to the creator, which I feel like is important when. I mean, it's important on you know on a few different levels because it gives people somebody to identify with mm. as far as their own capabilities or interests are. So basically, you know, if you are interested in creating something, whatever that may be. It doesn't have to be visual art, right? If you're able to kind of like put a face to another person that is also in the mindset of creating something because they feel like they want to or have to or for whatever reason, it kind of just makes it more relatable to you and kind of like on your journey. And I feel like that's kind of an important thing that maybe we don't see a lot of... Um, you know, in a sense, it's kind of like the, I don't want to say it's like the behind the, scene, the behind the scenes, like the same concept of, oh, how many times do you want to see the photo of the guy jumping with the guitar or the girl playing the bass or whatever it is. But in a sense, it's kind of like the stripped back version of that. It's this person in their workplace, but their workplace is their place of creation. And it's very simple. It's very bare bones. And it's like that for a reason because I want people to look at the photos and be like, oh shit, it's just a person surrounded by a few walls and they're creating for the sake of creating. Maybe there's other intentions beyond that. But that's the bare bones of, you know, I think why people make art. They have a need or a desire. And whatever comes after that comes after that. But that's the initial reasoning. And I hope that when the viewer looks at it, they're like, oh shit. I could do whatever version of that for myself. And like I said, it doesn't have to be art, but it's like if you have, if you got the time and you have the energy, you should do something creative with your life. I feel like 
So I hope that when people see the photos, it kind of just like, it makes it just seem much more approachable as to their own um, ambitions, you know? Yeah, there's like a really cool, uh, almost like vulnerability to it. Like we keep saying behind the curtain, like the man behind the curtain is like in a, is, is an homage to like the Wizard of Oz, right? Because they always think it's this grand thing. And I think if I'm recalling the movie correctly, like there's this giant projection of a face and like behind it is actually like this sort of like small in stature man who like is not all that impressive. Um, and not to say that that's what artists are, but it is really interesting in that like, I, hope, I don't want to blow her up, but like in going to Razan's studio, it's like she's doing this thing where, you know, painting pictures of ISIS members in parts of America would like really stir up feelings in people, like one way or the other. Like, because again, some people be like, well, you're humanizing them. They deserve no humanity. Remember 9-11, even though that wasn't ISIS, but you get my point likely or, or hopefully. Um, but like I show up at her studio and she's a little bit shy and like she serves me cookies and like I'm sitting there talking to her in this space and like we're eating cookies together and just talking about life and like her life in Kuwait and things like that. And it's just really cool to get that sort of exposure uh, or maybe exposure is not the word, but get that sort of access um, to an artist. And, and to me, uh, selfishly, I guess, is what I really appreciate about the project. So I think it's something, again, we'll, in a moment here, we'll plug your, your social media and, and, and your website and stuff. But to me, that's what, what makes it a valuable project and something that, that's why I appreciate it. So um, yeah, I think it's really cool. Cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of the reasons that I I do it, you know, it's partially selfish too because I like learning from these people, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's like probably one of the same reasons why you like interviewing people. A hundred percent, It's like, you know, you're putting media out into the world that other people get to enjoy, but like if you didn't enjoy it, then why would you do it? So a lot of it is getting to, you know, learn from people's process and learn from their mindset about creating and just kind of like seeing where they're at. And I think what the photos try to do is just really simplify the idea of who they are as a creator. And not to simplify their process or who they are as a person, but just merely show the viewer that this is just the person doing something because they wanted to, and you're free to try that as well. And it's kind of like, it's so hard, but it's so easy. You know, it's like, to do anything, if you have the privilege, if you have the privilege of time, if you have the privilege of being able-bodied or able-minded, like it's so easy to just do whatever you want. You might not be able to do the exact thing that you want right away, but it's like if you just narrow it down and you really think about what you want, you can make that happen. And I hope that's kind of like what the photos represent. And um, I mean, yeah, I just I hope that's what the photos represent. I mean, I. I your goal is a thousand people, right? My goal is a thousand. I think I've done about a hundred. I've been doing it for almost five years. Wow. Um, and I, I wanted to do something really long term because I wanted to do something that A, I would not be bored of. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> um, B, kind of like as I started doing it more and more, I started thinking of the cultural or historical relevance of it. And I just thought it would be interesting to document. It's not a specific scene of people. They're not using a specific medium. 
there's really just, if you break it down, it's artists who I think are making interesting work. So in a sense, I'm kind of curating, but I don't want to use that word because I know people go to school for it and I'm kind of, you But know, you are in a sense, like, it, that's you know, how I see it. Yeah, yeah um, in a sense, yeah, but it's, it's amazing to just get to learn from people and get to see their process. And also it's amazing to see things happen in, um, you know, a lot of the artists' careers that have nothing to do with me, but it was just cool to kind of like have gotten to know them before they found, you know, more mm. success or like actually today on the way over, I saw, um, an artist who I photographed a couple years ago. Her name is Basira Khan and she just got a, uh, Joan Mitchell foundation grant. It's like, uh, you know, a relatively large grant that she was awarded to awarded as well as many other artists. Um, and it was just kind of like, in a way I got to vicariously, live through that like that award has nothing to do with me but it was just like amazing because I felt like I got to learn about her work I got to learn about her process and it gave me this sense of gratification seeing her kind of find success you know um beyond uh like what I already knew about her as an artist so it's kind of cool because the more people I photograph, the more the more chances of you know them kind of like finding success and me living vicariously through them in a sense is there as well. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's beautiful, man. And like the there's like a uh, it's almost like a crack in a windshield, like a splintering effect to this because like again. I looked at your stuff. I talked to Razan. I had Razan on here. She was like, hey, you should talk to my friend Maha. So I had Maha on here. And then through her, another artist in New York commented on the on her episode because she was like into like, I had this music from Kuwait. And then I reached out to her. I believe her name is Louis or Louis. Uh, we haven't talked in person yet, but we've messaged back and forth a little bit. Uh, through that now she's like, oh yeah, I'll come on the podcast. So it's like this really cool, weird network of people uh, who can get connected once you just expose people to stuff. So that's another like really cool aspect to to that project. I think that is valuable for people. Um, all right, man, we are at an hour twenty. Damn. And this is awesome. I'm happy to have you on. I'm happy to know you now, and I'm happy to share your story and your projects. Um, I always include stuff. I mean, you've you said you've listened, which I'm grateful for. Uh, so you know that uh, people can click on the show notes, and listeners know that. But um, for people who are just listening in the car right now, or at work, or something, how can they check out your stuff? Um, the easiest way is if I guess if you go on Instagram, um, it's artist portraits, and that's obviously just the artist portraits. <laughs> but there's a lot of them there. Um, and if you go to my website, which is my name, but it's really pretty hard to spell. Uh, it's just Maxim Rosansky, but you probably got to check the notes on that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so if you put a .com on that, then you can see all the work. But the Artist Portraits Instagram is the easiest way. And um, yeah, I mean, thanks for having me on the show. It was cool. I never really got a uh, chance to really talk about or explain a lot of the work in this sort of way. So hopefully it makes sense to people. But I think probably if you look at the work, it would probably do... Uh, you know, it would probably add to the interview. So check it out if you can. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And again, not to keep like, you know, fluffing you up here, but I think the work's amazing. Um, I've had people who've said to me like, "Hey, like, uh, you try to get a get a celebrity on, right?" 
um, because you really want, like, if you want your podcast to blow up, I'm like, you know what? I don't think that that's my goal. And there's a lot of people who do like the podcast circuits of the big podcasts when they have a new book or something. And they say the same shit on like five podcasts within a week and you don't get anything new. I'm like really, really happy to expose people to people who are doing amazing things that they might not know of. Um, so I'm happy to be your first. Hopefully you get a lot more and uh, I wish you a lot of success, Max. And then one more time, thank you so much. That is a wrap, Voyagers. Episode number 129 is in the books. Thank you to Max for coming on the podcast again. Please, folks, go to the show notes for this episode and find the links to his socials and to his website and follow him. He's doing a lot of really cool, exciting stuff. Take a look at all the cool things we were talking about. Thank you to all of you, as always, for listening, the faithful Voyager army. And as always, folks, Please, please, please take care of each other. I will see you or you will hear me next time.